Are you ready to get in the word together? Yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for sending the precious Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to come alongside, to comfort us, to, to guide us into all truth, to teach us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this book, which is your voice in print. We thank you that it's living. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it's final. And God, as we just read it today, Holy Spirit, I ask that it would penetrate our hearts deep, that we, each and every one of us, including myself, will be changed by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you weren't here last week, I, the title of my message was No Language Yet. And the reason I call it No Language Yet is because I have this funny phrase and it says, and it's going to goes like this, often when you're going through something in life, you don't have a language for it. Why? Because you're going through it. However, when you come out the other side, you often have a language, Right? you suddenly realize that's what was going through. And once we have a language for it, we can offer that language as a gift to someone else. But so often when you're in the middle of something, you don't know what's going on. You don't have a language for it. And it can turn you around. It can disorientate you. It can cause all kinds of pressures and emotions. And I think if we were honest, um, this last couple of years has caused all kinds of problems. Would you agree? As a pastor, I get to see some behind the scenes and, uh, and meet people from around the world, people with all kinds of challenges. Now, these are people that love God, that know God. And yet, the pressures of life come, and it can be very, it can throw us off kilter, it can throw us off balance. And again, when we've not been through it before, we don't have a language. And hence, the message last week was called. No language yet. Well, today, I want to talk um, about this same subject, but keep moving forward, and I'm going to be transparent about where I am, but the title of this message is Finding a Language, because I don't fully have a language, but I do want to be open and honest about just where, where we go, and how do we find God in the valley? Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. But a shadow, in order to get a shadow, there has to be light. Because a shadow can only happen if there's a light. And so there is always a light. So if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stop. Don't make it a residence. Don't sit down. Don't, get, don't give it an address. I'm just in a the valley. There, God is continue, continuing to, to, to beckon us forward, even in a world which has lost its hope. I saw a mug the other day in a store, and it said, due to recent setbacks, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off. <laughs> it was funny, but I think that's a reality for some people. There is now no hope. But the truth is, he who has the most hope has the most influence. And I, last week, I talked about grief. And the Bible says, um, that we grieve not as those who have no hope. That doesn't mean we don't grieve. It just means the way we grieve is a little bit different. And, there's, and the more I've looked at this, I just find it how... And you, you kind of read the, the Word of God from different angles, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And I, I want to start this morning um, by just looking at something from, that Paul said. I'm going to jump around a bit, and I, this will be kind of like a porcupine message. There'll be lots of points, and I hope one of them helps you. But if you can turn to Romans chapter 8, and put Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Paul says this, I know that all creation is groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present age. So Paul says, I know. Will you say that with me? I know. Another translation says, we know. And then in verse 26, he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and I do because I do not know what I ought to pray. So first of all, Paul says, I know. Then Paul says, I don't know. And then in verse 28, he says, but I do know that all things in God, all things worked together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So here's three steps from the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He declares, I know. And then he says, I don't know. And then he says, I know. Does that sound like the middle of the valley? Does that sound like the in-between? Does that sound familiar to the journey that so often we go through? We have such a faith and conviction, then we move forward, and we know, we know, we know, and then we suddenly say, I don't know. And then at the end, we Paul, Paul concludes, but I do know this, that in all things, God works to, for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. Last week, um, we looked at, and if you've been here coming the last few weeks, and we've talked about uh, seven seven steps of a spiritual warrior um, from the life of David. And then last week, when it, uh, in the middle of all this, I, I took um, the first passage, uh, the first few verses of 1 Samuel chapter 16, which is the prefix to, da- to, to David being anointed king by Samuel. You know what I'm talking about? And these are the three lines that God says to Samuel. He says these three things. He says, number one, How long will you mourn Saul? Number two, take a horn of oil. And number three, be on your way. Number one, how long will you grieve? How long will you mourn Saul? For I have rejected him as king. Now, take a horn of oil and be on your way. And we looked at it briefly. We didn't really dig into it too deep, and I'm not planning to today. But here, I just want to say that that there was that you could feel the grief of this prophet Samuel who loved Saul, knew that Saul was God's anointed, knew that there was an anointing on this man, Saul. But one day, God says, how long will you mourn him? I have rejected him as king. Now, what I want you to do is take a horn, which will come from an animal, a horn from an ox hair or ram's head, which means there was sacrifice, there was spilling of blood, and you take that horn, I want you to fill it with anointing oil and be on your way. Where was he going? He was going to anoint David as king. He says, and when you get to Jesse's house, I will bring to you and show you the one that I have anointed as king. And in this sometime, there's, this got me again this week, just the pure sovereignty of God. That when God says something, that have we come to a place in our spiritual life where we just minimalize it? Yeah, but I don't really agree with that. Well, I'm not sure about that. But here, I think, but, but perhaps we need to realign the fact that God is God. And when he speaks, there's a sense of amen. I, I don't fully understand this. I don't particularly like this, but, 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 but okay. You're right with that? 
Everybody doing okay? A man like Mike Bickle once said this, God will always be your friend, but he will never be your buddy. And in a mass teaching of God's grace, and by the way, I am a grace preacher. I'm a finished work of the cross guy. I just am. We were dead in our transgressions. We were doing things for love, not from love. We were sinners. We were slaves. But because of the finished work of the cross, we were taken from the domain of darkness because of the finished work of the cross and brought into a marvelous kingdom of light. And we are now no longer sinners or slaves. We are now sons and daughters and saints. So, so by the grace of God, we're no longer doing things for love. We're now doing things from love. But with this teaching, which I believe with all my heart, sometimes we can become so overdosed with, with just the grace of God. Now, it is by grace and grace alone, right? But that we, we, can, we can... Okay, I'll say it like this. God made man in his image, and sometimes we try and return the favor. So, well, God, I don't actually like that. I would rather it if you were like this God. And then we create an image of God which is not accurate. And then we respond to God through the lens of how we'd like him to be. But he's God. I'm, gonna, I'm not convincing you. Um, turn to Job. This is, this is actually just a humorous part of the Bible. If you go to the middle of your Bible, that's Psalms. Turn left, that's Job. Then turn right again, go right to the end of Job. And in Job 38, there's this funny uh, passage which has always made me laugh. And it's a dialogue with Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible. And, um, and he's talking with God. And Job is Job's like frustrated. Now, Job has gone through some pretty tough things. Would you agree? I mean, he lost his family to the Chaldeans. I mean, he went through boils. Um, He went through some really big trials. I mean, the raiding parties came and took everything that he had. His house collapsed on his wife. I mean, it's a pretty bad day. I mean, when people say, I'm going through a Job experience, I'm like, well, where's your boils then? I mean, are you you scraping the boils off your skin with a clay pot? Uh, but, but there's something, sorry, there's something in this story about this man called Job. And, and I would um, I just simply say this. The story of Job is, can a man love and worship God no matter what God, no matter what God allows into his life, humanly speaking? Because it says this, at the end of this test, Job fell on the ground and he worshipped God. And the definition of worship is extravagant respect and devotion that is unrestrained by reason. So let me just jump through to the end because I want to build a perspective, not like, well, you know, when you're sharing your heart with someone like, well, it's not as bad as someone else. Oh, okay. Well, they've got it much worse than you. God really cares. But I do think sometimes, like John on the Isle of Patmos, we need to come up a little bit higher so we can see in the spirit and see things from a little perspective rather than just the here and the now. Okay, so, so this is a, a, maybe a side of God that you've never heard before or seen. Or maybe it's the only side of God you've ever seen. And you're like, exactly. That's what God's like. So I'm going to read it and then we'll just see how we do. So, Job's upset with God, he's mad, and he says, and then it says this, verse 38, chapter 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and this is what he said. Just imagine this, this is God 
speaking to Job, who's whinging. But rightly so. He's had a pretty rough ride, right? And this is God's response. Who is this? That Who are you that you darken my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'm not going to go into that. But brace yourself like a man, because this is going to hurt sunshine. It's basically what God's saying. And I, and I will question you, and then you will answer me. And then God says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me, where were you? To Job. I mean, this is like God putting Job in his place. Tell me if, I, if you understand. Who marked out the dimensions of the world? Surely you know Job. Who stretched and measured out, and who, who laid out the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid the cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the seas behind closed doors and it burst forth from the womb? And I made the clouds its garments and wrapped them in thick, thick garments and I, and, the, and I fixed the limits for them, and I set the doors and the bars in their place. When I said, this is far from you, you may come no further. Just imagine God is saying, hey, when I was laying out the world, I said, come, come, keep wind, keep coming wind, stop, light, stop. And God is saying, I did that, where were you? Were you there? This is kind of like, kind of almost the sarcastic side of God. And then he keeps going. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you journeyed to the springs of the seas and walked across its recesses of the deep? Have the gates of the depth been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadows of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, did you do all of that? Too much for a Sunday? No, okay. And where does the darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the pass of the dwelling? Surely you know, Job. <laughs> Were you even born? Have you lived that many years? Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Have you, been, have you seen the storehouses of hail? Does the rain have a father? Who fathered the drops of dew? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with the flood of water? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do, you, do they report to you? Do they, Job? Who has wisdom to count the clouds? Can, who can tip over a water jar from heaven? Do you know when the mountain goats gave birth? This is funny to me. Anyway. Do you know what time they gave birth? Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Who will stay by your manger at night? Do you give the horse its strength or clothe his neck with a flowing mane? Do you make them leap? like a locust, then this is Job's response really quick. Job says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? 
I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no other answer. <laughs> God goes, I don't know if anyone knows about life languages here, but you know, movers, um, they demand, attack, and then demand again. Well, then God says, God doesn't respond and go, I forgive you. He just goes on for another whole chapter. <clears throat> right. So uh, the reason I'm saying that is because I've never forgotten that quote expression from Mike Bickle, God will always be your friend, but he will never be your buddy. And sometimes I think it's really good that we sober up and recognize and, and that God is God. And like God is saying to Samuel, how long will you mourn? How long? It's a good question. How long will you stay where you are? Isn't it time for there to be a sacrifice in your life so that I can give you fresh oil and so that you can be on your way? And I just, I just want to bring three things today, and they're all going to be a little bit random, and I've kind of already given one of them. But the first is this. The power of prayer, and I'm, I'm going to unpack that because I'm not talking about we just need to pray more. But what does that actually mean? I'm not talking about getting on, putting your hands together and kneeling by your bed and saying your prayers. I'm not talking about making sure you don't miss the prayer meeting, although that's important because corporate family prayer is great and powerful. But I do want to provoke us. And so here's some scriptures. And remember, the title of this message is finding a language. And I trust that these keys will help you find a language for what you're going through. And so the first one is prayer. But here's the scripture, and I'm afraid I don't have notes going up today. And that's partly because Jonah was on the worship team today, and I thought he was going to be there. And so I texted him this morning, appealing for grace, and he didn't respond. So I thought maybe he was upset with me. Because yesterday morning, we, our, our roof had hail damage, and the insurance company put a new roof on it. And so the roof has started at like before 6 o'clock yesterday morning on a Saturday. And then they were right above our heads, like taking off the roof. So it was like, bang, bang, bang. So I'm, Fee and I jumped up. We're like, what on earth is that noise? Oh, it's the roofers. They're tearing off the roof. They're going to do it in one day. So I got up and went to get coffee, and it's just coming up to 6 in the morning. I walked past Jonah's bedroom, and so I banged on the door. Opened it, I said, Jonah, Jesus is coming back right now. Your heart better be right. And then I just shut the door and went downstairs. Just fun for me. So, <laughs> you know what's funny though? He just went back to sleep. <laughs> He's like, oh, what? What's that noise? <laughs> Straight back to sleep. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. I'm sorry, it's not on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Be clear-minded then so you can pray. Boom. Mic drop. Wow. Selah. Be clear-minded so that you can pray. Be clear-minded. Can I encourage you, when you pray, clear your mind first. 
I've talked about this very briefly before. I've never really unpacked it. But I'm just going to share again, in when you're finding a language for what you're going through, it is really important to, to, to get to God, to spend time with him. So I'm not just talking about saying your prayers. I'm talking about when you pray, Jesus says, go into your room and close the door. That means closing the door from voices and choices and seeking your heavenly father in a secret place. And if you don't have a secret place, find one. I have a secret place. It's in a place called Wayne near here, and it's on this little lake. And I was there this morning when the sun came up with the dog. And um, I, I found God. But I have to, the first thing I have to do, and I'm just giving you a, a, a glimpse into what I do, to be, in order to be clear-minded so that I can pray, I just get a piece of paper and I unload all my thoughts, the things that I have to do. I've got to call so-and-so. I've got to pay this bill. I've got to pick up this person. I've got to respond to this email. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. And I unload it all till my mind is clear so that I can pray. And then what I do, and I'm not saying you have to, I'm just telling you as I'm finding this language, but when you're going through something, I put up my hands. I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. And I stay in a place with my mind is clear and the Lord begins to speak to me by filling my mind with his thoughts. Some people struggle because they hear other people and then the Lord spoke to me and then God told me which salad to order and then I didn't know if I was going to have a steak and I just know that. It's like, man, God speaks to you more than Abraham, Isaac and Jacob put together. You're amazing. If I heard God like that, I'd go into Starbucks and just having words of knowledge for everyone there. Because you're amazing. But I just want to just, um, just practicalize this. God speaks to us in our mind. He puts thoughts into our mind. That was an amazing thought. So watch this. If you clear your mind, then God can put into your mind. And he can do that through, through thoughts and emotions. He can do that through his word. He can do that through his spoken word, written word, prophetic word. Too simple? So uh, when you're going through it, close the door. Go into the room and close the door. Close the door from voices and choices and, and opinions. And ah, Sometimes we don't go to him first. We go to everyone else. Sometimes we, when we have a headache, we just automatically take a Tylenol. And I'm not being religious here. I'm not being illegal. Don't take Tylenol. I'm just saying, where do you go first? Where's your first point? But could, why, why don't we practice that this week? I'm going to close the door. I'm going to find you, Lord. I'm going to find my center because there's so much going on. I'm going to find my center. How? Be clear-minded so that you can pray. Another, tr another translation says, be alert, be disciplined, be of a sound mind, be self-controlled so that you can pray. Be self-controlled so that you can pray. Find your center. Write that list. Clear your mind. Number two. So number one is clear-minded. Will you say that with me? Clear-minded. Here's the second C, because they all begin with C. These three points under... So the first is prayer. I've got three Ps, right? And then there's, there's subheadings, right? So under prayer is be clear-minded. The second is cast your anxiety. Be clear-minded. Secondly, cast your anxiety. So Peter says this. This is in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Peter says this, cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Another translation says, cast all your anxiety on him. Just think about this. This is so practical, right? The Bible says, church, 
And we live in a world right now where anxiety is at the absolute highest. I took, uh, in the night last night, I took somebody who was having suicidal thoughts and I took them to a hospital. And in the middle of the night, I'm sitting with counselors and social workers and they said, this is going to take a while. I said, no problem. I'll stay here all night if I need to. And they said, the reason why is because we are so inundated with mental illness, we can't keep up. Anxiety is real. And I think sometimes Christians don't want to admit they're anxious or having anxiety attacks or stress because it looks like a weakness. But I think we need to help find a language for it from the word of God. And in this house, we have so many qualified people who have given their life. See, the spirit of the Lord is upon us, Isaiah 61 says, because he's anointed us to set captives free. So it shouldn't be a shameful thing. It should be a thing where you can say, I feel captive to whatever it is in my life right now. What do I need? I need the anointing because it's the anointing that will set me free. So often we just think the anointing is just so that we can have goosebumps and flip on the floor and and laugh and giggle and that's all great. But the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to set captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn and for those who grieve in Zion. That's why we're anointed. And some people have a gift. Someone said the other day, well, it's okay for you, but you're really good at that. I said, that's ridiculous. I may be, but that's just because I'm good in this area. But that's like saying to a dentist, you're so good with teeth. He'd be like, well, I'm a dentist. Okay. All right, so cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. The, the, the Amplified version says, cast all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns. I love that. Cast all, everyone say all, your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns. This morning I was at Pratt's Woods, which is a great place where I love to go and find God, and I'm sitting there, and the dog's walking about, and I was probably one of the first people to be there. As the sun came up, and one by one, you know what, who was there? It was dads with their lads, dads with their boys going fishing. And one by one, I could hear the sound of a dad and then their young boy or girl and they would take their kids and they would set up the reels all around the lake and they started to cast. And that's where I thought that's what this scripture is saying. Cast all your cares. I thought the more, okay, every illustration breaks down, right? Okay, so every illustration does break down. We go fishing for men, but we don't barbecue them, right? Okay, so you eat them, like... Obviously, right, okay. So they're getting bait, and they're casting the bait away. (laughs) Cast your cares upon. In other words, don't let the bait, don't don't be bait for the enemy. Cast it away. I'm going to cast this bait far from me. Satan, shove off. Shut your mouth. You have nothing to say to me. And it doesn't mean, I'm not anxious, I can't be anxious, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I feel under attack. I feel paralyzed. So I need to go to the word of God. And I'm not minimalizing levels. See, Isaiah then says, he says, there, there is darkness over the earth and deep darkness over the people. There's actual levels of darkness. Hello? There are levels of darkness. And some places are really dark. Mike was talking about earlier in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and Silas. It says they were in an inner cell. 
Psychologists say inner cell is like a prison when it's so dark in an inner cell, it's an inner cell, there's no light. It's that dark. Well, it takes people with a special anointing and skills to bring people out of the inner cell of that place, to bring them into the light until the spirit of the sovereign Lord sets them free. And what I love about that story is by the end, it wasn't just them that were set free, it was everybody there. And what was the key? Singing and worshiping. The power of praise. The power of praise. See, praise is thanksgiving. I'll get there in a minute. That's my second PA thing. But the first is, 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 is prayer. We're still on prayer. Prayer has three points. Be clear-minded. Cast your anxiety. Number three, Jesus says, come to me. Clear-minded. Cast your anxiety. Come to me. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. For my, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, a yoke is what a rabbi would carry. A yoke is the teaching of a rabbi. So he would give the people he was training, the disciples, they would be carrying his yoke. So Jesus is saying, take my teaching upon you. Because the teaching that I want to put upon you, the Lord is saying to his church, is, 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 is easy. It, it's, it's light. It's not legalism. It will do you good. The message, Eugene Peterson says this, Come to me and learn from me the unforced rhythms of my grace. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful narrative. What a beautiful language. To come and learn from me the unforced rhythms of my, of my, of, of my grace, of my ways. So, and the reason I'm saying this is sometimes, and this is so practical, I hope it's, this is, this is why sometimes I have to live this too, it's going back to the basic word of God. Watch this, I'm going to say it again. So number one, under praying, and not just saying your prayers, but spend time with the Lord, close the door. How do you do that? Number one, clear your mind. Number two, cast your anxieties. Number three, Jesus says, come to me. And the reason I, I remember um, a shepherd once saying to me, um, that he, actually, it wasn't. He was, he was a pastor of a church, but he was talking about a shepherd and a, and a story that happened to a lamb. And the shepherd had gone to get the lamb because the lamb was hurting, and it started to push its way into the thicket because it was scared of the shepherd. And the further and further it went into the thicket, the more it got um, thorns in its, in its wool, and then it got more and more hurt and harmed. And eventually, the shepherd was able to get the, the lamb out, and he picked the lamb up, and he said, if only you'd come to me. Hello. If only you had come to me. So often we get in such a pickle, and I believe Jesus is just saying, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're worn out. Come and learn from me the unforced rhythms of my grace. Just come to me. Come to me. No, I have to go, I have to go first to the Tylenol. Uh, but maybe you just need to drink more water and your headache will go away. Come to me. Come to me. Church, this is so simple. I'm not trying to be profound. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm not trying to dazzle you with Greek words. I'm just saying, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, and, I'll, and I will show you. Come to me. Come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, come to me. How? Be clear-minded so you can pray. Close the door. Cast your anxieties. Simple? Okay. I'll just say this as well. Um, when we come to him, this is, this is another lie that is, this is, comes from teaching from the wrong side of the cross, that when, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, to tell us it is paid in full. And so God is no longer angry with us because the wrath of God was satisfied at Calvary. 
And so when we receive Jesus, we receive the finished work of the cross. This is, this, I'm just reviewing an old, very, very basic stuff. But this is why this is important. In the writer of Hebrews says this. In Hebrews chapter 4, he says, Come boldly. So this is now how we approach God. Okay, Jesus says, come to me. This is how we, I want you to try this this week. Hebrews says, come boldly. Another translation says, confidently before his throne of grace. Why? So that you may receive mercy in your time of need. Right? So this is, this, I want you to, this is just, this is the gospel. This is why it's so good. Right? So I, you feel this week, I've, I'm, the enemy says, you're a sinner. You're a liar because he's an accuser of the brethren. You're vulnerable. You're weary. You're tired. You're feeling anxious. You're feeling there's something wrong with me. The enemy's telling God doesn't love you. And he's trying to make you sin conscious. God is trying to make you God conscious. Because we're in Christ, right? So, so while the enemy's firing all these things, what he wants to do is isolate you away from other believers so that you believe the lies so he can take you out, Right? And here's what Hebrews says. Come confidently before your throne of grace. And so this is what I want you to try doing. It's like, I'm a Christian. I've, I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I'm being lied to. I feel anxiety. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come confidently. Stand up, I'll turn off the TV. Go to find a place and say, here I am, Lord. I'm coming confidently before your throne of grace. I want to thank you for the finished work of the cross. I want to lift up my head. I'm so thankful for what you did for me. And God says, well done. Because when he looks at us, he doesn't see what we used to be. He sees Jesus because he sees us through the finished work of the cross. So we're like, uh, you know I did all these things. What things? Uh, Well, I told a lie. Well, if you're, 1 John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful. And just, Lord, please forgive me. I totally forgive you. Already forgave you. Lift up your head. All creation is waiting for you, sunshine. We don't need you like that. <laughs> We're the head and not the tail. It's really not attractive to the world. <laughs> Too much. Okay, here's another thing Hebrews says. Do not, Hebrews 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 says, do not throw away your confidence. Wow. Well, confident people are just arrogant. No, they're not. They just know who they are in Christ. And the enemy comes on and says, well, you did this. I know, and I put it right, shove off. Yeah, but I know what you're really like. That's what I was like, not like that anymore. And by the way, I don't even want to talk to you. You're a liar. Casting out devils. What's your name? They're liars. Anyway. So, (laughs) I'm a little unhinged, okay? All right, unedited. So, don't throw away your confidence. Watch this, ready? Do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. What will be rewarded? It. What's it? Confidence. God rewards confidence because he wants us to live as the head and not the tail. This is so good. This is why it's called the gospel, which means good news. Sometimes I don't think we make it very good anymore. Okay, 
Number two, I'm going to really finish. Pray, so the second one is praise. Everyone say praise. First is prayer. Second one is praise. Uh, I won't do any more little headings anymore because it gets confusing. Number one is prayer. Number two is praise. Praise, praise. I'm just going to just go through these scriptures. You can write them down and read them this week. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says to the church in Thessaloniki, he says this. He says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ever met someone who's always trying to find out the will of God? Read the scripture. Have them read the scripture. Be joyful always, period. <laughs> Be full of joy. You know the word joy? It means calm delight. In other words, it is well with my soul. Things may be raging on the outside, but I'm going to learn to be calm on the inside because I know my Savior lives. I know what he did on the cross. And I'm a son and I'm a daughter. I'm not a slave and I'm not a sinner. I will be joyful always. His praise will always be on my lips. I will give thanks in every circumstance. That's a key to maturity, to learn to be thankful because, watch this, praise is thanks. When you talk about praise, praise is thanks. So we praise him for what he's done, but we worship him for who he is. Okay. Isaiah 61. He's given us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So when we are part of praising God, is, is, is offer, it's a sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. I'm nearly done. I'm going to land this right now. I'm a sacrifice. Sometimes we think sacrifice is bad. Someone said to me the other day, um, well, I, need, I can't afford to do that because I'm doing this. And I said, well, which one do you want to do? Well, I want to do that, but I can't because then I won't be able to do this. I said, but is this more important than this? Yes, then sacrifice that. But I want to do that. But you said you want to do that more. I do. Then sacrifice that. If you want to go on vacation or you want to buy a new car... And there's a sacrifice. Well, I can no longer buy that and spend my money on that because I want to go on vacation. And so if I'm going to sacrifice this because I want to do that, that's not a bad thing. Sacrifice can sound like a dead work. Oh, I need to beat myself up. This is, uh, this is all part of sacrifice. The lonely walk of walking with God. What? No. I, don't, I will want him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The reward is him. It's like, oh, what will I get? Does anyone know what the reward is? Yeah, it's him. But it's a lot of work to diligently seek him. Then maybe you don't want him. But if you do, if you diligently seek him, then you get him as a reward. It's like if you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you, honor, you get a prophet's reward. Well, what's, what's the prophet's reward? You get to see what he sees. Keep going. Nearly done. So, ugh. So, and I would say the same thing is with if you want to purchase them, but also in relationships. I really want the relationship, but I'm not. I'm not changing. They're wrong. Well, you got to choose. Do you want to be right, or do you want relationship? But I am right. Who cares? 
Maybe you should just sacrifice your right to be right because if you keep exercising your right to be right, you'll be wrong. Because your attitude's wrong. Let's slow that down. (laughs) I said to the Lord one time, I'm I'm not backing down because I'm right. And you know I'm right. Right? You know what the Lord said to me? He said, son, if you exercise your right to be right, you'll be wrong. (laughs) That's God being God. And what's funny is in reflection, he never even confirmed that I was right. (laughs) He didn't even answer the question. He just said, if you exercise your right to be right, you're wrong. Nothing else to say on the matter. There's a sacrifice. I want relationship with you, Lord. I want relationship with this person. I need to humble myself. All right. Number three, purpose. Um, You know you can't unsee what you've seen? If you've seen something, you can't unsee it. That can be disturbing sometimes. I wish I'd never seen that, but you saw it. But when God speaks and he shows us stuff, we can't unsee it. And that's conviction. And a man without conviction is at the mercy of circumstance. And if circumstances cause us to change our convictions, then they were never convictions in the first place. So when we see something in purpose, prophetically, see that scripture we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5, then Paul goes on to say, don't treat prophecy with content, but do not put out the Holy Spirit's fire, but test everything and hold on to the good. 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 Hold on. We know in part, we prophesy in part. When God speaks, we need to have the ability to take, hold on to the good, to dissect it and say, this is what God has said. I'm going to hold on to the good. That doesn't make sense. Don't know what it means. It doesn't matter. It's hearing the voice within the words. Well, I see a picture of a tree and there's a unicorn and there was, there was river dancers. Um, there, were, there were river dancers and they were, they were, on, they were, they were dancing on their head on a, on a duvet and then this happened and this happened. By the end, you're like, wait, what? I am really confused. God, what do you... You don't normally talk to me like this. <laughs> but it's learning to hear the voice within the words. It's le- my, my sheep hear my... Voice, so often we get caught up in the words, but it's his voice that we need to hear. Lord, I know that voice. When he said that in the words, we know in part, we prophesy in part, therefore we need to dissect in part. And this is what God's saying through it all. Amen. All right, nearly done, nearly done, nearly done. This is so important that we know the nature of God. I'm going to close with this, this, this uh, couple of scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4. Judah actually quoted this last week, I think. Um, and then we're going to pray. It's in 2 Corinthians. I, I love this. Um, this is Paul. And if you want, you can close your eyes as I read this. Um, this kind of gives a glimpse into when Paul is in the middle of, I don't know. I know this. I don't know this, but I know this. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Then he says, verse 16, though outwardly we are wasting away, 
inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Therefore, he says, do not lose heart. Church, some of you just need to know this this morning. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. What's this? Here's this Paul in his right hook. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. They're achieving for us. They're light and they're momentary, but they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Just think about it for a moment, and I'm going to close. But when Paul is saying, for these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, for these light and momentary troubles. Have you ever read what those light and momentary troubles are? Because he actually lists them a few chapters later. He says this, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Once I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day on the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger from the country, in danger from false brothers. I've often labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and I've known thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. But these enlightened moments compared to eternity. Did you feel like you're coming up a bit, seeing a perspective a little different today? Light and momentary troubles. And I'll close with this. This is Paul's word to the elders and he left Ephesus. And now he says, you're never going to see me again. He says, compelled by the Spirit. It's really important. Compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know, there it is, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit has warned me that prison and hardship await me. Woo! Happy days. When did you, when did you last read that? See, so often we play, Lord, just protect that person, protect me. Lord, I don't want anything to harm me. Lord, Lord, none of these things. But but Paul is saying, the only thing that the Holy Spirit has told me will happen is there will be hardship, there will be imprisonment. And in the King James, this is, I just love this. In the King James, Paul says this, but none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. That's a language. That's a language. I know that the Holy Spirit has told me to go. And when I get there, the only thing I know is that hardship and imprisonment await me. But none of these things move me. The standard.
You just close your eyes, church. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you this morning that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thank you that whenever there's condemnation, we can take it for absolute sure that it's not from you because you never condemn us. But Lord, I thank you that you do convict us. I thank you that you are totally committed by the power of your word to see Christ fully formed in each and every one of us, to see your church across this earth rise to maturity. And Lord, as we just stand here, for those that can in your presence right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that today we would come up higher. That, you would, that we would see another aspect of your nature. We'd see another aspect of your glory, another aspect of, what, of who you are and what you're like. Because, Lord, we really love you. And for the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years and decades and perhaps centuries that we have left, God, we just want to serve you. We want our lives to count. And God, I ask that today that we would learn as your people to learn again the power of prayer, spending time with you, to learn again the power of, of praise, to, learn, to, to put our praise on, to put on our garment of praise, to learn the power of thanksgiving because that is your will for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that lastly, we would learn the power of purpose, that we would always see life through a different lens of not only how it affects us, but how it affects your eternal purpose, that we would lift up our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from, that we would stand as your church like we're standing now. And Lord, I ask that this will be a reminder to us this week that we'll stand up from our bed, stand up from the couch, stand up from, from the meal table, stand up at work, stand up on the inside and say, God, here am I today. My mind is clear. Speak to me. I've cast my anxiety onto you. Speak to me. Speak to me. I've come boldly before your throne of grace with confidence so I can receive mercy. Speak to me. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. Speak to us in the quietness of our own hearts. Speak to us in this moment. If there's things that need to be corrected, we won't wallow and waste time. That we won't succumb to the lies of the enemy and become all of a sudden sin conscious. But we would be God conscious. That we be aware of your goodness, aware of your kindness to us, aware of your grace, aware of your mercy. And that's what would draw us to be a people that come quickly with confidence and boldness to receive your mercy and grace in our time of need. Amen. Amen. Just wanted to just declare everyone in this room just peace. Just peace, shalom, that peace would come. The peace that passes understanding. If we want the peace that passes understanding, sometimes we have to give up the right to understand. Just say, God, I'm going to go past the understanding because I want the peace that's on the other side of it. And today my sacrifice, Lord, is I'm going to sacrifice my need to understand. I'm just going to lay at your feet right now, God.
Some of you need to lay it down. It's like, but I don't know why. And the Lord just says, I don't want you to live in the why. You can ask why, but don't live there. Lord, I ask right now that you would comfort and strengthen those who minister to others. If you're a minister, by that I don't mean you're a pastor or I'm not talking about that, but you, you know, even if no one else knows, you labor. Maybe you speak, you spend time with people on the phone, counseling them. Maybe it's your profession. Maybe it's just something you naturally do. That's you. Just acknowledge it before the Lord. I just want to pray for you again. Lord, I ask for a fresh anointing right now. Your word says the spirit of your sovereign Lord is upon us, your church, because you've anointed us to set captives free. And I just speak to you, to this, everyone in this room ultimately, that a fresh anointing would come. A fresh anointing would come to set people free, to comfort those who mourn to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and an oil instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Holy Spirit, just flow in this room right now. Flow in this room. Touch every heart, every mind. We're not going to move on. If, if you need to go, please, please go. I totally get it. People have got stuff to do. But if you just, if you can stay and you just, I, Lord, I, I want that refreshing. I want that touch from you. I want fresh oil. I need peace. I'm in a valley. And I've heard these instructions of how to keep going. But in this moment, I just want to, I just, I want to enjoy this peace. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Speak to turbulence. Turbulence of the soul. Be still in Jesus' name. Speak to the accuser of the brethren. I'm exposing him today because he is the accuser. The devil is a liar. He comes with accusation. I break your power in the name of Jesus. You just believed lies. Some of you are here and you've you've struggled with I'm gonna die. And there's like this fear of death. I'm not going to call you out, but I just want you to put your hand up on the inside. If you want to raise your hand, you can. Someone will pray for you. We'd love that. But you've just got this constant feeling as I'm going to die. Something bad is going to happen. I just want to pray for you to be released today. If that's you, in the mighty name of Jesus, I speak to this spirit of death. It's a lying spirit. I break your power in Jesus' name your power in Jesus' name. Break the spirit of suicide in Jesus' name. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders. Listen carefully to this. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So the right of Hebrews just presents both. It's everything that hinders. Some of these things are not sin. They just hinder you. And some things are sin that so easily entangle us. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you right now would just show in, in our hearts and minds, you'd flood through this room, you'd show the things that are hindering us. Maybe it's lies, maybe it's fears, maybe it's bad attitudes. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's an insistent on being right rather than having relationship. Maybe it's sin. It's a pattern. It's a, it's a pattern of sin. It's a, maybe it's habitual, something that you've dealt with for so long. Just You believe the lie. I'll never get free with it. You can because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us to set us free. Wherever you are, just say, Jesus, today I sacrifice this. I bring this to you. I bring this to the altar. And church, here's the amazing thing. You can do what I just said with confidence. Not with shame. Not groveling. Not crawling on your face to the altar. Jesus already did that on the cross. Why? So we can come boldly.